right food splinter podcast gonna talk real fast spitting food facts while we be no and relax how to use that salt what it means to brew with malt if you need a new food pack yeah one that leaves an impact Welcome to Food Splainer Podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the most important ingredient ever, salt. Now, instead of me just rambling on facts that I know, I have a lovely friend who's going to join us today, and he is quite the amateur cook. His name is Perry Brill, and Perry Brill and I have been friends for a few years, and the first thing I noticed was he is terrible in the kitchen. God bless it. The first time I saw him cook, he put raw chicken on a cutting board, didn't wash it, and then put vegetables on the cutting board, and I about lost my mind. I was like, dude, what the heck are you doing? And he's like, it all goes to the same place. Oh my gosh. So that should give you an idea of of the kind of, you know, amateur cook we're, we're dealing with here. So I thought it'd be a little bit more fun and interactive for an amateur cook to ask me questions about salt and how to season food rather than me just ramble on. So Perry Brill, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, Erica. Thanks for sharing my uh, real talented cooking stories. And to this day, I still cross-contaminate. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. We got to work on that. Right. Well, Erica, I want to talk a little about salt in my life. And it's a short story, and it all begins with my grandma, Felicia. Felicia. That's not her real name. That is her real name, born in Vienna, Austria. So my grandma, Felicia, is notorious for saying, it's too salty. And, (laughs) you know, it really happened that she got into her, her later 80s. And I think she just, her palate changed. She had a little dementia, too. So, Erica, do certain people taste differently, or do they tolerate salt differently? How old was she? Uh, she was in her late 80s. Okay. So, when you have senior citizens who are higher in their age, like 70s, 80s, 90s, they start to not lose their taste buds. That's ridiculous if you ever hear anyone say that, because you don't actually lose your taste buds. They become more sensitive So things that are not salty to you and I will be super salty to someone who is very old. So that's one thing. Age definitely is a factor, just like babies. Have you ever seen those videos of babies with lemon squeezes in their mouth and like they make the most hilarious, cutest faces like tortured, like, oh my gosh, this lemon's so sour. Have you seen those? I haven't. That's, uh, oh my gosh, I'll have to get on TikTok. Uh, yeah, whatever platform, check it out. So there's age, age is a huge factor. And then you have just 
different tolerances. There's people like you and I, Perry, who love bitter and we love black coffee. We love really hoppy beer and it's not too much for us. Like we desire that flavor. And I know people who cannot stand that bitter taste of coffee and want a ton of cream and sugar in it, who don't like greens or kale or things because it's too bitter for them. There is such thing as a super taster. And that is a real thing. It's just basically when people have sensory overload and what may not be bitter to us is extremely bitter to them. And it's not just about bitter. It's about salty, sour, sweet, and umami too, which those are the five flavors that comprise taste. And lastly, I would just say not being exposed to food in a way that will help you develop your palate. So before I went to culinary school, I hated cheese, like stinky cheese. I thought it was disgusting. I'm like, why in the world would I eat this moldy, stinky feet smell and cheese? And now it's one of my favorite things ever to eat. You just have to develop a palate for it. So that's my, uh, that's my best answer. Okay, makes sense. Um, so what I took away is don't get old. Um, <laughs> But uh, all right, Erica, so I want to jump right into the facts of salt so I can become uh, a better home cook. I will tell you, my mother, Debbie. Hi, mom. I uh, hope you listen to this. Hi, she, Debbie. She had the blandest food growing up when Aww. she was cooking. It's just and to me, and I know you're going to discuss it here. I think she just undersalted all of our food. And every time she would serve the food, we end up adding some type of seasoning to it on the table. How do we know if we're undersalting our food or perhaps oversalting our food? What are the key tips? Well, you'll definitely know if you're overseasoning your food. Side note, um, I never say oversalt or undersalt. When you are kind of trained in the food industry, you begin to just learn that you talk about salt and acid as seasoning your food. Because when you're seasoning your food, you're balancing the acidity and the saltiness so that it can just become one delicious dish. So the reason a lot of people grow up not liking vegetables and things that are really healthy for us is because most likely they have not had it cooked properly. That means they either had it way overcooked and it was hammered or way undercooked and it was like crunchy and not desirable. And it was just bland, it had no salt at all. And it's unfortunate because vegetables are one of my favorite things to eat when cooked properly. Okay, makes sense. So let's jump back to some of the fundamentals of salt, not having proper training. So, you know, when I go to Costco, I generally go down the seasoning aisle see what kind of barbecue rubs I got. And they have the whole aisle is just full of salt. And most of it is these grinder style sea salt things, mm. which took popularity, I don't know, within the past decade, rather than the normal salt, like kosher salt. So tell me what's the good, what's the bad about sea salt grinders? You know what? Goodness gracious, toss them out. Toss them in the bin, recycle, just get them out, please. I do not like these at all because you have absolutely no control over what you're doing. I mean, let's talk about a, a salt shaker. You have finely ground granules of salt and you're shaking it over your food and it's so fine, you can't even see how much is pouring down or how little is pouring down because it's dissolving 
on whatever you're shaking it on right away. Let's talk about uh, a grinder. Let's say you have pink Himalayan sea salt rocks in this grinder and it's really fancy and that's why you have it and you're grinding it. Same thing. You cannot control the size of the grind and larger granules or smaller granules. You just have no control and you don't feel for it. You can't feel what you're doing. Like you always hear your, your hands are the best tool in the kitchen and it's true. And the same goes for seasoning. Always season with your fingers. All right. So generally when I'm seasoning, let's say a, a nice porterhouse steak, I'll just get the grinder, twist it four or five times, move it left to right, flip the steak over and do the same thing. So you're saying that's totally wrong. Uh, if, if that's wrong, what's my alternative? You know, who am I to say something is right or wrong, first of all, but I'm just telling you based off of experience and based off of what I found to give the best result, I just I just buy salt shakers and in salt grinders because they just don't give you the control you need to produce the best outcome. I recommend you go and dedicate a beautiful little clay jar or a plastic deli cup. That's what usually we use in the restaurants with a lid or whatever glass jar or plastic container you want. Get a, get a coarse ground kosher salt so you have more control when you're sprinkling off your fingers. Use the three finger pinching technique, which you take your middle pointer and thumb and you grab a healthy pinch, you want to go about six inches to eight inches above whatever you're seasoning and just sprinkle those salt granules from your fingertips. You're going to watch how when those granules fall from a height, they start to disperse out like a blanket and beautifully cover that steak like a blanket of snow. I'm getting hungry here. You're, you're just describing it so poetically. Oh, thank you. I am a poet on the weekdays. And you wouldn't you know it. <laughs> don't quit your day job okay so i understand i need to ditch my salt shakers and grinders and just get a simple little bowl now what's the difference between sea salt and a more conventional salt like a kosher salt that you'll find in the grocery store it, you know it seems like you know you're almost shamed not for using sea salt today you have to use sea salt it's the gold standard um, is it okay just to buy like a big cardboard box of salt at the grocery store still? Yeah, like all salt is actually sea salt. So all salt is from seawater in one way, form, or another. Kosher salt and table salt are both from underground caves of old dried up salt beds. So it differs from sea salt, the type of sea salt you're referring to, because this type of sea salt, which is also from fresh seawater, um, it is actually harvested in a way that little crystals are formed and it has a lot of temperamental factors like weather condition, wind, temperature, all those things that just like grapes and how the terroir of, of grapes completely changes the flavor and taste profile of wine. So sea salt is typically more expensive because you have to have the perfect weather conditions. And then you have to have craft salt people go and carefully harvest these crystals that formed. And the quality of the salt has to do with whether or not, you know, these crystals were harvested delicately or not. So a lot of times that's when you'll see 
price fluctuate. And obviously if it's something's done on a smaller local level or if something's done on a, a larger commercial level. And because we're on the topic real quick, I'll just tell you what my favorite sea salt is. It's Amagansett sea salt from New York. And I got to cook with and taste this salt when I worked in New York City. And I have not tasted a salt that I've liked better since. It has like that awesome crunch. It's a great finishing salt if you just want to finish it on some steak or on a, some vegetables or your watermelon, whatever it is. It's delicious and it has no minerally flavor. It's as pure as they come. And that's right out of Amagansett. It's a small team and I really believe in their product, so you should check it out. And I actually have more information about this salt, which you can find on my blog at foodsplainer.com and also on my show notes. Wow. But anyway, did I answer that question for you, Perry? That was perfect, Erica. Yeah, I now have a, a more of a foundation of where salt came from. But you kind of led me into another direction I want to ask you. And I always see iodine salt. And generally, you'll find it in those like maybe those little packets you get from the fast food joints, mm. you know, those little tiny things. Mm -hmm. Those are terrible. <laughs> are those, what's iodized salt? So iodized salt is actually, uh, it's from way back around 1920, about a hundred years ago, there was a strange disease erupting out of nowhere and it was called goiters. Now goiters, it's really interesting, but it's an infection and disease in your thyroid, which is kind of like a your, your gland over your vocal cords. I'm no nurse, but there was this huge inflection of goiters and goiters are caused by an iodine deficiency. So funnily enough, you know, you have your doctors and your scientists who are like, how can we solve this issue? And what's the one thing we put on everything we eat, Perry? Salt. Exactly. So they're like, well, let's put it in our table salt. And what do you know? It decreased the goiters and um, even further down the road, research showed that it decreased mental disabilities. Okay, so what is it against iodized salt that you don't like? Is it just the taste? So I feel about iodized salt as I feel about salt shakers and grinders. Just toss it in the trash. I mean, listen, Everyone who's listening, I promise you, you get enough iodine in your daily diet right now. Even if all you do is eat at McDonald's and eat Snickers all day long, I promise you, you get enough iodine in your diet, okay? So there's really no need for us to have iodine in our salt anymore, but it's just one of those things that never went away. And the flavor is just horrible. I mean, you can taste it the minerally iodine flavor, and it's just unpleasant. It can totally taint your food. Okay, wonderful. Um, I want to hop into the actual art of using salt. So what does salt actually do for food? And I know what you're going to tell me. It makes it more flavorful, but how does salt make something flavorful? So to answer your question, the reason salt enhances the flavor of food is because as I mentioned earlier, it's one of the five tastes that make up flavor. So as I said, it was salty, sour, sweet, bitter, and umami, okay? Now, 
let's say you do have kale, right? And kale is, you can eat it by itself. And I enjoy kale, but it's just kind of bland and bitter by itself. But if you add salt, scientifically, it's reducing the bitterness. So it's becoming more pleasurable. It's starting to break down those fibers and proteins. And that's why oftentimes when, like, let's say you're making kimchi, let's say you're making cucumber kimchi, okay? And you're sprinkling, uh, you're heavily sprinkling salt over your cucumbers and you're letting it rest for about an hour. What happens is that salt actually brings out that moisture in the cucumber. And this happens to all fruits and vegetables. It brings out moisture and makes it like look wet. And what that's doing is it's, it's concentrating the flavor and it's helping to balance the natural bitterness or sweetness or saltiness of whatever you're putting it onto. So salt is just something that helps to balance and bring out the natural deliciousness and potential of food. Okay, Erica, now you're making sense. I I love kale. However, I can't just take it out of the package and eat it. I have to complement it with something else. And so now it makes sense why seizing this bitter produce with some with another flavor profile, how they kind of interact and taste better. Erica, I'm about to make a uh, squash soup because it's fall time. So let's say I oversalt the soup, just I got a heavy hand or who knows what. How do I unsalt the soup so it's still delicious for my family and my kids? So the beautiful thing about the five tastes is that you can kind of manipulate more or less the five tastes that make up flavor. And so you say you're, you're making a butternut. Is it what type of squash? Do you know? I don't know. It's pre-cut squash that was on sale. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's just say butternut squash. It's probably the most common. And okay, you've got your butternut squash and you're going to make a soup. And let's say you are using your salt shaker. This is why you should throw them out. And the lid comes off. And you just completely pollute your whole, you know, two quarts of uh, butternut squash soup. All right. Well, if it's not so insanely salty that you just have to throw it out, you can decrease that saltiness with acid. So you can take some vinegar. You can take some fresh lime or lemon juice. You can also add some spice. Spice definitely kind of it tricks your taste buds. So my favorite thing to cook is coconut curry. And if I ever add a little bit too much salt, I just add some more curry paste or some yuzu koshu or whatever spicy chili paste I want to use. And it always helps. I love to also balance that saltiness out with fresh lime juice. And so Perry, with your soup, I would say your best bet is to add spice and acid. Now, if you're okay with adding a little bit of sugar, that could also help. Not to make your, you shouldn't taste sweetness. It's not like you're making your, your soup sweet, but if you add just a little pinch 
it will also decrease the saltiness. So it is salvageable if, like I said, you didn't just completely trash it with, I mean, I'm like salty of this, like, I mean, salty as the sea. There's no fixing that. Okay. Yeah. It's generally that you put like an extra teaspoon or tablespoon in there and now your family's upset because they waited an hour for dinner and now it's just not palatable. Um, I mean, that's the beauty about cooking, Perry, is that, you know, it's okay to use recipes as a guide, but do not measure your salt out with a teaspoon. Do not measure whatever spice. Don't measure. Like, that's how you learn how to cook. You know, it's a love language. Speak to it. Take care of it like it's your better half. You know, it's it's an intimate thing. Cook and feel the food and be passionate about it because that will literally reflect on how it tastes. I'm so guilty of using measuring spoons. All right, so question. I was cooking uh, over easy eggs a couple mornings ago. I have two eggs every day. And I, I did. I threw out my salt grinders already, and I bought your favorite brand, Crystal, what's it called? Crystal Diamond. Crystal Diamond. I bought the three-pound package. However, I still have not put my salt in the little salt bowl. So I poured my crystal diamond salt onto my eggs and it was more like a mountain of salt. So I did the natural thing any guy would do is I plated my eggs up. I brought them over to the sink in the kitchen and I rinsed all the salt off. Oh gosh. You know, it was wet eggs. No, you didn't. You, Perry, tell me you did not do that. But it was better than salty eggs. You, you took your eggs underneath the water. I did. Yeah, you're. Lord Jesus, help this boy. You're invited over for breakfast anytime. Hell no. So okay, all right. So instead of roasting you, for all of our lovely listeners, I'm just gonna say let this be a lesson learned. As I said earlier. You want to have control. Remember, Perry, you, it's so important because if you get to use your fingers and you control how much you're releasing from your fingers, mistakes like that will not happen and you will not have a watery, slimy, nasty eggs. Thank you for sharing that story, though. You're welcome. I'm sure every ingredient you go over and your podcast here, I'll always have a story for you about my misuse of the ingredient. Probably. Perhaps that could be a future episode is Perry's screw-ups in the kitchen. (laughs) You should start your own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All all right. right. How are you you feeling about your salt knowledge? Uh, I'm feeling salty. Dang. Are you going to shake it like a salt shaker? I'm going to shake it like a salt shaker. Shake it like a salt shaker. All right. I'm glad. Yeah. Throwback, Lil John. Love you, bud. Oh, you know, here's another little thing that just came to my mind. Like, have you ever had a Corona? No, I'm not talking about COVID Corona. A Corona extra and you put a nice slice of lime in there and then you sprinkle some salt in there. Oh my gosh. It takes it from a three to a five for sure. Salt just enhances. It just enhances. It's just, it's this magical little ingredient that, I think has given chefs the tools to shape the culinary industry to what has become today. 
the flavors, the crazy flavors and techniques that have been born are just insane. And I am definitely going to credit that to to salt because without salt, food just would not taste the way it tastes. You're right. Corona with a lime and salt is next level. Um, Oh my gosh. And watermelon with salt. Hello. You just mentioned salt and watermelon. And I remember I was chilling with you just summer day, and then you cut open a watermelon, and then you started sprinkling salt. And I was kind (laughs) of had this like WTF look in my head, like, what is she doing (laughs) putting salt on a fruit? All right. Well, let me just say that the best watermelon I have ever had in my life was in Vermont. So I went to culinary school in Vermont, and I was in Dewey class where we were basically, it was a whole class of students and we were in charge of cooking all the food for the cafe, the cafeteria for the school, culinary students and art students. And shout out to Chef Martha. If you're listening to this, you brought yellow watermelon and I had never in my life seen yellow watermelon. I was like, is that like dyed or like soaked in a brine or something? And I was just fascinated because this was the sweetest, crispiest yellow watermelon I've ever had in my life. And I put salt on it. It's probably the the most satisfying snack out there easily. So if you haven't tried it, try it. It's also my dad's favorite thing. He loves to sprinkle some salt on his watermelon. But yeah, there's a lot of things that you, and think of this, salted caramel. See, sweet and salty go beautiful together. So just kind of step outside your comfort zone, start experimenting in the kitchen, use these five flavors I talked about and let salt bring out the potential in each ingredient you cook with. Erica, I want to thank you for allowing me on your podcast so you could uh, scold me about my improper cooking techniques, but also educate me so I can become a better at-home cook. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure to have you. And I hope that I helped give a little bit of knowledge to whoever's listening. If not, as I mentioned earlier, please feel free to go to foodsplainer.com. I have a very detailed blog on salt that I posted along with some links to some of my favorite salts and looking forward to catching you next. Bye.